Hi, my name is Penny Olerenshaw, and welcome to the Great Design Lead podcast. I'm the chief builder for Build Marketing and co-founder of No Code North, living and working in the beautiful Bay of Quinte region, east of Toronto, Canada. And right now, I am helping to build and promote a network of Canadian Webflow and no-code users across the country. Perfect intro. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes That's... I get the planning right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so excited to talk to you because you and I have been like at the same events. We've chatted online, but I've never actually had like one-on-one -on -one time with you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was so excited when uh, I got your e your message and I was like, yes, I would love to. I'd love to get to know you better. Wonderful. Yeah. I was um, uh, learning more about you and uh, I saw th th your hometown. It's uh, really close to Banff, if I'm right. It is. It's beautiful. It is. It is, it is one of the most beautiful spots in the world. And I always love it because I there's... Um, a few images that are used in Webflow University that are of the mountain that I grew up in front of. Really? Yeah. And it's so cool every time I see McGuire moving an image around and kind of going, hey, that's my mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is a beautiful area of the world. And um, it, it's funny because when I grew up there, People knew where Banff was because it's sort of this famous place that everybody visits. It's part of a national park and and it's a protected area. So there's wildlife and it's it's just gorgeous. And I grew up in the little town that's about 20 minutes away on the other side of the mountain outside the park. And uh, nobody knew where I grew up. Nobody knew the name of that town because it was just a little coal mining town. And after the mine closed in the late 70s, they didn't know what to do with the town, right? It's kind of like, how do we keep going, right? And we need industry. What what should we do? And they kind of hit upon tourism. We need a, you know, a real hotel that people will come to and, and visit. And then the Calgary Olympics happened. So in 1988, Canmore was the host of the um, the Nordic ski events. So all of the cross-country skiing, biathlon, and all of that um, there was they built an entire um, uh, complex up on the side of the mountain, which is now this world famous training facility and and wow. it was the site of the Olympics. And all of a sudden, the world discovered this little town and it's now exploded. So it's about well, it's it's a good three times the size it was when I left back in the 70s. And it's it's just this place that that everybody now has either lived in or knows somebody who's lived in, you know, I'll talk to somebody and they say, Oh yeah, no, I've been there. Or, Oh, my aunt lived there for a bunch of years. And do you know her? <laughs> 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 yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of came from this little place that, you know, was, was sort of looked down on really because we were, you know, we weren't the cool kids that lived in, Banff and went to the big high school we were you know down the road and uh, and now Canmore is Canmore is now where everybody lives because Banff is so expensive nobody can afford to live there <laughs> the town can't grow right it's it's restricted because it's within the national park so the town size the actual physical size of the town can't grow all they can do is 
um, put multiple units on an existing lot. So all these little houses that were like little one, you know, three bedroom bungalow kind of things are now these huge multiplex things. And the, wow. so the population of the town has grown. But the other thing about the town is it's beautiful, but it's very focused on tourism. And and Canmore has has developed that side to it as well. Um, but it's uh, it's still it, so it's it's not quite the same as going home to visit, you know, like it used to be. But it's still it's amazing to be there when when uh, when I do get a chance. So I got there this year for the first time in nine years. So oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Was that weird? Um, it was, and the thing is that it, it's now a very expensive place to visit as well. <laughs> and I don't have a lot of you know I have some I I know people there still, but I mm-hmm. you know my mom's been gone for twenty years, so I don't have a I don't have a place to stay there that I sort of feel comfortable saying, hey, can I stay with you? <laughs> and so we go for like an afternoon. And and so it's kind of like, we just kind of go around. We're tourists now in the little town that I grew up in. It's it's kind of odd. That is a, a strange thing. Like, it is. I'm from uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, very different. Like we don't have these... Uh, beautiful huge mountains that you can see from <laughs> the the main street like when when i was mm-hmm. looking at um at your town i i was so surprised how um i guess the only way i could describe it is like it's just the air seemed very clear and you mm-hmm. could see all of the details of the mountain you kind of felt like you were in a bit of a snow globe is that how people describe it it um i'm sure somebody has it yeah. it can feel like that I'm, particularly um you know when it is snowing it it is beautiful if you like snow i'm not a big fan of snow but it can be <laughs> it can be beautiful um unfortunately we have you know they also have um they get the smoke from the fire forest fires when they happen in british columbia and the smoke comes over the mountains and it gets quite hazy so so you see we you know everybody takes pictures on the good days <laughs> it's not like that and it's not like that all the time it's just you know there's usually a few days every summer when you know it starts to kind of the wind shifts and it brings the smoke in and and um, yeah but it's it is a truly spectacular spot. It it really is. Then the I love driving through the mountains doing that whole trip. We used to go from our home through the mountains and either down to a resort area in the center of British Columbia or all the way down to Vancouver because we had family there. And uh, it, it was always just so so awe-inspiring to drive through the mountains and and just to look around and just see those incredible rocks <laughs> i think that's around. something that i really miss out on um i live in philadelphia which is like i don't know pretty jam-packed city not as much as new york mm-hmm. but and not not as much as la but uh i don't know you don't really have a lot of nature i have one big tree outside of my window <laughs> <laughs> and I treasure it and I get sad when the leaves fall and then I just have yeah. this like bear tree. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is really beautiful and, and uh, kind of, um, uh, I don't know if the right word is like surprising or unusual to me. Like when I'm driving through somewhere and I just see <laughs> trees <laughs> and mm. I just see like so much beautiful nature. And because I'm yeah. not around that every day, 
I start thinking, like, oh, am I missing out on something? Like, <laughs> I mean, walking to the the doctor's office is nice, but like, what am I uh, giving up uh, to live in mm-hmm. a city? Yeah, well, that's kind of what I thought too. And so <laughs> after I I had moved from out west to Toronto, um, long long ago, went to school, worked, whatnot, and then we moved out here um, to this really nice area of Ontario uh, about 16 years ago and because it was like I love driving on those roads and it's so nice to be you know commuting well and we don't commute well my husband commutes now but you know it's like if I have to drive anywhere I'm driving past all these amazing trees and farms and whatnot and you know but if I want to go for a coffee it's a 15 minute drive (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's um, it it can be a little isolating as well. So it's it's good to have different different things and activities, which is one of the things the pandemic really brought home was just how you know I like working at home, but it can be kind of isolating. Oh, you know, for sure. Even when you're used to working in a space, you know, just not having that ability or freedom to just go somewhere else and do something different. So. Yeah, I, I definitely went through that when um, uh, I was doing school from home. Um, my best friends were my uh, housemates and I was getting my groceries shipped to my house. And I was like, yeah. I'm, what am I doing? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know what the weather is outside for the past like month. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I yeah. know. It's like, yeah, you know, it's like. I've been around for a long time. I can't imagine being your age and, you know, being stuck in a box. You know, I I can't imagine what that must have been like. I'm used to being here. You know, I've been working on my own for a long, long time and working at home. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't such a big change for for me. But I, you know, for somebody who's used to being out and about and with people and, and, you know, in a city and, and suddenly to not be, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how you guys all did it. I really don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm making up for lost time now. I've seen my good. friends a lot and stuff. So that's it's balancing it out. <laughs> yeah. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Glad to hear that. So when you were, when you were growing up, um, what kind of stuff did you and your friends do for fun in your hometown? Oh, okay. So here's the thing. I I didn't, when I was four, we moved from the town out to a little hamlet. It was basically just a bunch of houses sort of on the side of a hill and at the bottom of the mountain. So we were about a 10 or 15 minute drive out of town. <laughs> so my whole life has been this sort of commuting to a town to do something. Mm-hmm. Um so I had some friends who lived around me in that area, but they went to school in Banff. And my mom, when I was a little kid, uh, when I was only, I was, I'm born in November. So I was a little younger than a lot of the other kids. Um, so she didn't want to put me on the bus at 7.30 in the morning going to Banff. She kept hearing about kids who you know, we're falling asleep in school and whatnot. Oh, and wow. so she didn't want to do that. And she had been, a t- she was a teacher. She had been doing supply teaching at that point. And uh, so she 
applied for a job and got a job at the school the same year that I started grade one. And so she got the job at the school in Canmore. And so I went to school in Canmore. Everybody else that lived around me went to Banff. So I didn't have like the people that I hung around with that I was at school with. I didn't see in the evenings. And I would go home and there'd be these other people that went to school in somewhere else. So we didn't. So it's like it was a little not so much isolating, but, you know, it's like I didn't have the same experiences of, you know, of day life with the people that I, you know, saw on the weekends and whatnot. Um, so, again, it was a little rural. Uh, it wasn't really rural. But it was just like this bunch of houses. Right. And um, they had been some recently built. And so when you build a house, you have to dig a basement. This is going to sound weird but you have to dig a basement you have to put that dirt somewhere right so there were a couple of places where there were big dirt piles and when I was a little kid that's where we played (laughs) you know make mud pies and build how little little fake houses and set up these little play areas (laughs) within these dirt piles and and that's kind of what we would do it was kind of odd but you know and then I built a little fort in amongst some trees behind our house and um and then it was a lot of walking up on the hills and things and um but most of the time you know it's like during the week I was mostly on my own at home with my with my parents and working on high school you know on school work and things like that mm-hmm. yeah so not tons of you know there was playing but it was you know it wasn't I mean, I had dolls and Barbies and things like that. So, you know, I did that. Um, And then my cousin would come out from Calgary and visit from time to time. So we'd, you know, play dolls or fight over dolls or (laughs) she was, she was about my age. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, a long uh, time ago. (laughs) I love when, um, uh, when uh, friends of mine, um like they have different childhoods maybe like one childhood is very like uh tech oriented like oh like mm-hmm. i was i was watching movies i was playing video games all the time and then my other friend would be like i my activity was just go out and be home by dinner time like i just mm. <laughs> i just like found something to do like i could hang out with my friends and we could be like fighting swords with sticks like that's just <laughs> what our hobbies were <laughs> And I love those people. <laughs> you know, it was it was fun and different, you know, yeah. and you don't know any different, right? When you're a kid, it's kind of like, well, what can we do? We, you know, make something up. Yeah. I, I had yeah. a similar experience to you um, in the friends going to a different school thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, I, I came from a huge uh, school district. Um, so when I graduated um, uh, high school, um, there were about like 900 kids in my my graduating class, which is a lot of people. <laughs> um, but like it's a it's a bit smaller um, when you're in middle school or elementary school and stuff. And so I remember in elementary school, um, the dividing line for different schools within the district was my street. So <laughs> so on my side of the street. Uh, we went to this this place called Parkway Manor, and uh, on the other side of the street, they went to uh, Stronia. And so um, it was so strange because all of my friends that I would do 
it's it's like I had my school year friends and then I had my summer friends. Mm-hmm. So with you, you had your daytime friends and then your evening friends. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it was um, it was weird because you would I would almost like not really see my school year friends during the summer. And then I would mm-hmm. be on swim team with all of my summer friends. And then you get really close and then you wouldn't see them for like nine uh-huh. months. It's yep. such a weird um seasonal relationship (laughs) (laughs) it is it is well mine got even stranger because when I was 10 um there's a a very famous art school in Banff the Banff Center at the time it was the Banff School of Fine Arts and it had been uh this this place where artists came and young students came and they spent six weeks every summer learning you know various art things whether it was pottery or painting and it was like some amazing work that was being done by young people so it was kind of conservatory like and I started going there when I was 10 because they still had young kids classes Um, and I was doing I did drama one year and then the next year I did drama and ballet and then after that I did ballet for like the next eight summers or something and so I would spend my summers with those kids who were from all over the world, right? Mostly, really? yeah, mostly Canada and the U.S., but there'd be the odd person who'd come from somewhere else. And so I would spend my summers with these kids that did, you know, that were, were doing this creative stuff and then, and getting very, very good at what they were doing. And then I would go back to my little town and I wouldn't see anybody in my town all summer long for like two months and then I'd go back and start school again and and in the fall and so I was having this other life completely from everybody else that I knew how did that start like how did did your parents say oh hey there's this thing maybe you want to try it out well um yeah my mom had always been interested in the arts and um we had gone to the school to the BAMP Center for a couple of performances um, because every summer after at the end of the summer sessions they would put put on big shows right so it was always a big musical and an opera and um, uh, a dance show and whatnot and some kids that I had known are the the sisters the twin sisters of the fellow I used to be good friends with when we were like three and four years old (laughs) had moved to Banff and they were playing Madame Butterfly's daughter on alternating nights in the opera, right? So oh, they wow. did Madame Butterfly. And I mean, when, when you know, it's not just like local theater, right? This is like full on, highly produced, could be in any city kind of quality of, of opera. That was the thing in this little town, right? Here in the mountains. And, and it was just fascinating. And so that was my first introduction to, you know, real theater. And my mom was sort of always interested in the arts, had done a bit of dramatics in high school and whatnot. And so uh, she said, do you want to go to drama school? So a couple of years later, I did summer school, um, learning how to, you know, make sounds and imitate things and and just, you know, be something other than just, you know, (laughs) me in a room with a bunch of other kids. And, um, um, you know, it, it sort of started from there. It was it was sort of interesting to do something that was different than anybody else was doing. What was that like watching your your friends up on stage? 
Um, it was it was neat. I mean, I was yeah. nine, right? So yeah. I mean, I just you know, uh, it was pretty cool though to kind of go. I know them, right? Yeah. Like like those are those are people I know. Yeah. And and situations like that where I'm either working with people that are, you know, have I idolize or know um, that are on stage in a performance and something like that. So. So where did, was this like a long commute for you every summer? Like, or did you no, stay there? No, it was, um, it was about 20, 25 minutes to get from okay. our house to the school. And the first, up until I was 15, my mom would drive me every day. And when I was 16, it annoyed my mother so much that I said, okay, I want to live at school this year. Because I would miss out on that whole side of, you know, hanging out with the kids again during the day <laughs> that I was yeah. with all day long in dance class. And then I would drive home and, you know, she'd drive me home at night. So I was missing out on that opportunity. So the year I was actually able to drive was the first year I actually <laughs> stayed at the school. And she was so annoyed that it was like, this is the first year you could have driven yourself. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but, you know, I want to be with these other kids I want to get to know them in a different way than just you know in class watching them dance so that was uh, so it wasn't a long commute it was you know it was like I say 25 minutes each way um, but my mom would drive up and back every day like she would drive me up and then drop me off and go home and then come back and pick me up at the end of the day um, so she was doing this incredible amount of driving um, yeah, like an, wise, an, a, two hours a day, I guess. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty drive because yeah. you're looking at these amazing mountains, but still, <laughs> it's a lot of driving. But she also, um, uh, for a couple of summers, took courses. So she did an, a painting course and a writing course. Um, and, and I mean, the cool thing about the writing course is that she was working. You know, she was taking. Um, it was like done in two sessions, and she worked with two of Canada's top poets right that they were her instructors in this wow. course that would you know yeah it was it was a pretty amazing opportunity you know to to go to the school and uh, yeah what what kind of woman was your mom like what was her personality ah okay so the first thing you need to know is that I was kind of a second family for my parents mm -hmm. so they married in 1938. Mm -hmm. My parents were like a, a whole generation older than most people's parents. Mm -hmm. So they had married and they had two boys and I was born 17 years later. Interesting. So there was this big old gap because she was, she actually had a lot of trouble with her first two pregnancies and she was mm -hmm. told she wouldn't have any more kids. So somehow they just managed to not have any more kids. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, surprise. <laughs> so, so I, I grew up with, you know, a parent with parents who had lived through the depression, who had, you know, who had um, known what it was like to, um, you know, to get their own food. I mean, and they, they had a really fascinating life. Uh, long before I was born um, that I'm, I'm, I'm actually really proud of, you know, coming from, you know, the people I come from. So my mom grew up on a farm uh, 
east of Edmonton, which is sort of further north in Alberta, central Alberta. And she's uh, from a Ukrainian family. So there were like 12 kids in the family. It's a lot of aunts and uncles. <laughs> a lot of aunts and uncles. Okay, but <laughs> yeah. down the road, we'll get to the aunts and uncles. Yeah. Um, so she she grew up there during the, you know, sort of like through the 20s and the 30s. And uh, the year she was going to go to university or to normal, uh, what it was called normal school. So like, once you finished high school, you could take one year of normal school, which taught you how to be a teacher. Because mm, her, father okay. had her father had decided that she should be a teacher. She wanted to be a secretary because that seemed cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not going to have any man chasing you around a desk. <laughs> It was the 1930s, right? So it's like, no, nope. fair, fair. So you're gonna you're gonna be a teacher, <laughs> but the year that she was gonna go, there was a big hailstorm that wiped out the wheat crop just before she was gonna go to university, and so she didn't get to go that year because that wheat crop was gonna pay for her tuition. Oh, and, that's devastating. Uh, it was. It was. She actually wrote a story about it, which is I'm. It took her a long time to write that story, but that was that was something that actually came out of going to school in Banff in this in these summer courses was was starting to write this story of of that, you know, that little episode. Um, anyway, so she but she did get to go the next year. Uh, and that was actually a year that she spent work with her brothers going around doing um, entertainments. So they all sang and played instruments that was a very ukrainian thing it was like very ukrainian instruments and whatnot and so they would go around and and entertain the the you know people in the community at events and whatnot and that was sort of what she spent a lot of that year doing in between before she finally got to go to school and so she then graduated from school and moved down towards calgary because she got a job there and this was a time when Ukrainians were not very highly regarded, right? You know mm. how, you know, quite often people have come over, immigrants have come over from other places and they're kind of looked down on, right? Mm. And so Ukrainians were sort of at that point were sort of being quite looked down on. And so she was concerned that her name, her, her maiden name would tell everybody that she was Ukrainian. And so she changed her, she legally changed her last name to something more English sounding so that she could then apply for jobs and she was applying for jobs with families because there weren't there were schools of course right of course there were schools but she was applying for job like like private teaching jobs in families uh, so she would go in and live with them and and teach their children um, she did that for about a year or so or a year or two and then she met my dad and my dad looked at her and said I'm going to marry that woman. <laughs> <laughs> and three months later, they got married. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was your your dad's upbringing like? Uh, he he was actually born in England and brought over to Canada, like by the time he was a year old or something like mm -hmm. that. And they lived in a little town north of Calgary. His father was a carpenter, I think, and had built their house and whatnot. Um, and dad got to grade six and then left school, uh, I, assuming because that would have been, well, that would have been sometime in the 20s. So, there, you know, it wasn't 
education and, and whatnot wasn't as big a, a thing. And I get, they didn't probably have a ton of money, you know, to sort of keep on going. So he went out and started getting jobs and whatnot. Um, he eventually trained as a painter and paper hanger, right? So he could do wallpapering and painting and things like that. And just after he did that, the big stock market crash of 1929 happened. Wow. And so there was no work. Mm -hmm. And he spent time riding on railroad cars. He was like one of those railroad guys. Wow. And going down into British Columbia where they were gold mining and, and, and panning for gold. And he taught me at one point how to pan for gold. <laughs> <laughs> so he was sort of hanging out in these little gold, these little towns that were sort of left over from the gold rush back in the 1890s or whatever. And, um, uh, just sort of making his way as a young guy. Eventually he met a fellow in and his wife in Calgary who gave him a job and and sort of helped him get on his feet. Um, somewhere in all of that. I'm not sure exactly when they met, but he he maintained a relationship with them until eventually the woman the woman actually lived with my parents for a few years before she she died in her late nineties. Um so he kept this relationship with these people that had basically sort of given him his first start in in you know becoming a, a young fellow who had a job and had work and could survive and support himself so so then he started uh he and his brother had a dairy farm i think there may have been a ranch somewhere in all of that <laughs> i don't know um, jack of all trades I, this guy <laughs> uh, yeah well yeah you know you kind of have to be right you don't yeah. you know he was very good with his hands he built things right he built all our houses and and oh, things wow. he he and my mom met when he still had the dairy farm and I think I think both boys were born when they had that. And then at one point, he uh, got an opportunity to uh, to lease land in this area, sort of just as you're going into the mountains. Um, and they were the the province owned all this land and was allowing leases to log it. And so he was never a clear cut logger. Everybody has to know that. My brother was. <laughs> so concerned at when we when we did the uh, did my dad's funeral that everybody know he was not a clear cut logger he would selectively choose the trees so that he wasn't wiping out the forest you can't mm. tell where they were like i know where they were now but you yeah. can't tell when you look at a map where they were um because they they would just choose you know the trees that were ready to come out yeah. and they were you know building fence posts like you know cut the trees that were the right size for fence posts so probably half the the ranches and farms in the area around there were had fence posts from my dad at some point back in the 40s and 50s well actually oh, the 50s. yeah he built the road that goes up the mountain <laughs> to get to this place where they were and so they lived on the side of the mountain they had a couple of buildings and they had 30 men working for them. Wow. He would go, he would go into town and he'd sort of find these guys that were <laughs> looking for work and he'd bring them out. And, and, you know, my parents talked about, you know, some of these guys for the rest of their lives, right. Would, or would run into them and see them in different places. Um, and, uh, you know, they were these young men who were just sort of starting out on their own. Some had come from Europe and went on. Uh, and and sort of gave them their start right and and it was hard work 
but they, you know, it was, it was good work. And my mom was raising two boys, homeschooling them and feeding everybody every day. She made pies every day. She made bread every day or every other day. Um, it for, was, the workers <laughs> as, for the workers as well? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. My. Everybody. That's like 40 yeah, people. I think, Oh yeah, it was crazy. It was nuts. Oh I was like, I don't know God. how she. I don't know how she did it, but I understand now why she used to say when I was a kid growing up, "I hate cooking." <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, so I've done it. <laughs> oh yeah, it was. It was. There were. I think there were. There might have been like one other family, perhaps like a fellow who had his wife and the kids there with them. I yeah. seem to recall some discussion of that. But essentially, you know, there were my brothers growing up out there on the side of the mountain. They were there for five or six years, I think. Um, yeah. You know, kind of, yeah, you know, they had to go out down the mountain and, and out into town. Well, actually, there wasn't a nearby town. They'd basically go to Calgary, which was like half Far. a day's drive away at that point. You know, they, well, whatever. I mean, it was it, cars weren't driving as quickly back then for <laughs> <laughs> trucks, big trucks. And so, you know, he'd go. Um, take a load of logs into town or fence posts and then he'd pick up supplies at the store and and bring them back out um yeah what what are your two brothers names um austin and george and what you probably don't know is that both of them passed away back in the 90s oh really yeah yeah don't smoke people don't smoke um yeah yeah so my older brother was austin and so he's he was 19 years older than me and then the mm-hmm. younger one was George so he, and he was 17 years older uh did I say older uh, they're both older <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay, got that yeah so they grew up they had this really cool life growing up on this you know in, in on the side of the mountain learning at school at home and learning how to do things with their hands, how to build things, take things apart. You know, they were both very mechanical um, and, you know, learned all that from my dad and, and uh, you know, building little cars and doing sort of teenage, you know, boy things and shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. Shenanigans. Yeah. 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 And so they, they probably lived there until the boys were something like, 16 and 14 something like that I'm not sure exactly when they left I think it was around 55 56 and they moved into Canmore at that point mm-hmm. and um uh oh before I before we go there though I have to tell you yeah. my mom once chased off a bear oh my gosh yeah so this woman is like amazing <laughs> She was incredible. She really was. She was. So they didn't have electricity, right? They're up on the side of a hill, a mountain in the middle of nowhere, essentially. They had no electricity, right? So the way she kept things cold was in the creek because there was a little mountain creek that ran right through. So the the houses were, their their cabins were sort of on either side of this creek. And um, she would, had like a big tub that was in, that sat in the creek and the water running around the, the tub basically kept the food cold. And uh, so, you know, I think the bear, I can't remember whether it was, no, I think that the that's where they kept meat and whatnot. And then one time she had cooked uh, a roast or something and had it sitting out 
um, outside to cool a little bit or something. And the bear came along and was taking the roast. She's <gasps> like, you do not take my roast. And she chased him off and got her roast back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 So. How did you react when you heard this story for the first time? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I was so young when I first heard that story. That was sort of like one of the, you know, one of those famous stories in my family of my mom chasing off the bear. Yeah. How do you even? <laughs> I would not have the guts to do that. I'd be like, okay, oh, I'm screwed. Yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got forty men that are waiting for dinner, right? What are you oh gonna gosh. do? Yeah. Um yeah she was she was pretty fierce that way you know and um uh i have a um uh my mom her uh she has a bunch of siblings that are quite older than her Mm -hmm. um they're her her half siblings and um she said it was very interesting to grow up um with siblings who were kind of like your parents Mm -hmm. like they're so much older than you that they do a lot of like child care or um uh I don't know. It's hard to see them as your peers because they're like mm-hmm. 14, 15 years older than you. Um, yep. what, what was that like for you with the boys? Well, um, I was so I was born when they were 19 and 17. So Oz, they were when they moved into town, uh, the boys were just because they because mom was homeschooling them. She basically had them at the same grade level mm. all the way through. And so they were both going into grade nine at the point when they went to school. So they were now in grade 12, sort of a couple of months into grade 12 when I was born. And so by the time I was seven months old, they both left home. Wow. So to start their lives, Austin went to uh, college in Calgary to become um, an electrical worker. He worked for the, the power company for many, many years. And George went into the Navy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he was always fascinated with, I guess, ocean and boats and things for some reason. And so he (laughs) he went to to Victoria, which is on the West Coast, and uh, and went into the Navy there. So I I didn't know them (laughs) growing up. Yeah, (laughs) I have this I have this image of being little. I would have been maybe two. And obviously, you know, George was home visiting, but I just I just have all this memory of standing in the yard and looking up at this hill and seeing this guy coming over the hill on a horse. Oh, really? Because <laughs> there was a there was a stable, a riding stable up on the hill, and him coming down over the hill and coming across the, the highway, because it was a quiet highway back then and 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 coming to the house and i it was like oh my god it's my brother it's so cool and he put me up on the horse and we drove rode, rode around on the horse and i was maybe two probably oh two two or three yeah and i that's probably one of my very earliest memories is is that image of this guy on this horse having no idea who it was and then all of a sudden it was my brother the moment where you can recognize his face yeah and you're like i know this guy <laughs> hey <laughs> he's coming over here for me you know because he was he was coming over to to give me a ride on the horse that's so sweet that's such a sweet it memory it's lovely yeah and then they te- and otherwise they teased me a lot right oh so really a, you know anytime they would come home to visit i 
because I, I kind of grew up alone again. I had a friend who lived a f- you know, a couple of streets mm-hmm. over that I got to know when I was, you know, three or four. And I had neighbors um, that I would play with sometimes. Um, but again, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have a brother or sister in the house with me. So these guys would come to visit. I had no idea. <laughs> didn't make a connection. <laughs> they, they were my brothers. Somehow, you know, it, it, for a long time, it just seemed like there were these guys that came and they teased me a lot. <laughs> big family member <laughs> yeah yeah it's like oh you come you you're that same guy who's coming back to tease me again you know <laughs> and I was pretty shy and I actually had a bit of a hard time with it it was because I didn't understand it it was you know it was that teasing out of love thing right That's, yeah, yeah. like oh okay <laughs> yeah like the uh the keep away a game that people would do with kids oh you want this and then you Mm -mm. make it taller than the kid and they can't reach it (laughs) all sorts of things like that yeah just you know just just having fun with a little kid i don't know what's going on (laughs) that's such an interesting um uh uh relationship though to have with someone because mm-hmm. this person experienced your parents um in a totally different time period like Absolutely. i'm sure that like your parents might have even been like different people because they were in a different situation and then they had you mm-hmm. and it's almost like they're the same people but different do you yeah. see what i'm saying i totally totally right i mean it was like you know nearly 20 minutes or n- nearly 20 years later that they were you know, sort of starting all over again with this little girl. And, you know, I, I think, I think they'd been having some marital issues as well. I, mm. you know, having moved into town, that was so that my brothers could go to school, right? They'd reached a point with that 300 acres where their choice was, do we go further into the, the mountains and lease another piece of land? Yeah. Or do we, move out of the mountains and go into town so that the boys can go to high school. And I think that was, that was, that was a tough one for my dad because it, you know, now he didn't have that thing that he had, right. He was the guy who owned the sawmill and employed all these people. Um, And so, you know, I think that that made life harder for him because he didn't really have his place anymore. He still had some of the equipment, so he still had a bulldozer, and I'm not sure what else he still had, but so he was digging basements for people, because it was a a time when the town was growing a fair bit, Um, and he worked on the highway with, you know, one summer, I remember we went out to this bridge in the mountains to visit my dad and my brothers working on the highway. They were oh, building really? the Trans-Canada Highway across the country. They were working in this little section, right? Because he had the bulldozer and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I don't think he was, he certainly wasn't making the kind of money that he wanted to, ha- you know, would like to have. It just wasn't that big a town that there was that much work. And so I think there was, you know, probably some tension. My mom had started doing supply teaching at the school. And I think that was a hard for my dad, too. He he never liked the fact that she was teaching. It mm. was it was a little bit of a, you know, manly, you know, 
man's supposed to support his family. It doesn't look good if the wife goes out to work sort of thing. Mm -hmm. right? It was the 60s, 50s. So, you know, that that I think caused some tension. And my brothers said to me many years later, you know, that they were probably going to split up. Except that you came along. I came oh, along. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> How <laughs> old were you sense. when you learned about that? Oh, I was, I was probably in my twenties at that point, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was long after I had grown up, but um, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, and I knew things were not, you know, were not perfect between my folks. I mean, everybody has, you know, has their issues. Um, uh, and my dad kind of, he resorted to alcohol Mm. at times when when he got frustrated by life <laughs> you know he yeah. eventually ended up um after my mom started teaching actually the same the same day right he got a job working at the gates going into Banff National Park so we lived about a mile from the park entrance mm. uh, so we we're a little bit outside of Canmore and just bef in front of the park entrance and so he got a job working there he worked there for about 11 or 12 years before he retired and it wasn't a job he loved he were, he was basically the guy that you know when you drove up to go to drive into the park you know he was the guy that you bought your ticket from to go into the park and he had to deal with um you know people uh you know trying to bring guns into the park because of course it's a wildlife protect it's a protected wildlife area right yeah Where people would think oh I could bring my guns in there and you had to seal your guns right so you had to bring if if you were driving with guns yeah. you had to bring them into the the office and he had to actually put a seal onto the gun yeah that if they were found in the park with this seal broken there was like a huge fine because it would mean that they had used the gun. Yeah. Right? So they, you know, so we had to hit arguments with people about, oh, you know, my. having to seal their guns and things like that. And he, he worked shift work, right? So he'd have, you know, uh, eight till three and then three till 11 and 11 till eight, you know, so he had this rotating shift work that made life really hard, you know, yeah. you know, and then, and then my mom was, we were driving to Canmore and going to school. She was teaching school all day long. And then, you know, she would either make dinner when we got home and then take dinner to my dad at the gate yeah. <laughs> at his job. Or, you know, he'd be home and, and we'd have dinner together. Um, or we'd be, I'd be trying to be really quiet at night while he was sleeping before he went to work for the midnight shift. And um, yeah, so that, you know, that, that job wore on him. Yeah, you know, as well. That so you know there was there was a bit of frustration, let's say. Yeah, you know, yeah. But but it you know it was still it was still interesting growing up in that family of of you know and with that experience and that you know that that time the you know that that distance of time from how old they were to how young I was, you know, and and the that stage of their lives you know when they thought they would be not dealing with a small child <laughs> who needed to be driven to ballet class all the time. <laughs> I think the only other kind of relationship that can um uh 
be like that is maybe like your parents' siblings, like somebody that mm. um grew up with your parents and and knows knows your parents really well. But yeah, that's the only thing that I can think of, like your parents' siblings and then your your siblings of a different mm-hmm. time. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Well, and my mom had actually grown up in a sort of in in somewhat of a similar situation except that there were more children in between. But yeah. but you know, you were talking about how, you know, your mother was raised by some of the other siblings, right? My mom bit, was yeah. like that too, right? <laughs> she had she she actually when she went to high school because they lived on the farm and the high school was in town, she actually lived with her sister and her sister's husband because she was like 15 years older than my mom. Oh, right. I have this, I have this amazing picture from 1920 or so that shows my mom, this little teeny tiny girl. She would have been maybe a year and a half, two years old, perhaps. Um, And, and then my grandparents and then all of the other children, right. Sort of ranging in age up to, (laughs) I don't know, well into their twenties and and there were already some that were not living at home anymore, so they weren't in that picture wow. and, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so you know, so she was raised you know in part by some of those those older siblings um yeah, that's so yeah. interesting, yeah, so the other thing that's interesting in all of that is that the children of those siblings, their children were the ones that I got to know. So oh, wow. my cousins were the ages of my brothers or some of them, right? Yeah. So I didn't know them. I knew their children. So my second cousins or my first cousins twice removed, whatever. Yeah. The, I have a cousin who actually knows how all that stuff works. <laughs> they were my second cousins. But I have yeah. a couple of second cousins from my, the mom's, my mom's side of the family who were my friends. Yeah. The, the few times we would actually get together because we lived. 300 miles apart so we didn't see each other that often but we would write letters and and whatnot and meet them at a family get together and, and uh, you know we'd sort of hit it off and and uh, keep writing back and forth I mean if yeah. they're your same age yeah. it feels mm-hmm. natural yeah absolutely absolutely uh, and we had this connection right and it's like I, I I met their parents at weddings or you know big celebrate you know like my grandmother's 85th and her 90th birthdays and things like that you know so I got to know their parents vaguely but they were you know those those children were the ones that I actually spent time with and uh, and we're still in touch with um with your parents their careers and and their lives did that teach you anything about a career for yourself or like what hard work means and, and things like that Hmm. Um, hmm, that's a good question. I, you know, I think probably in some ways I feel it was, it was tough because I was, they were at a stage in their lives where they could give me a little bit more, not tons more, but they could, you know, I, I never felt like I had to go out and work. So I, you know, when I finally got a job, it was so that I could pay for my way at the school in the summertime. <laughs> things yeah. Like that. Um, and so, I, you know, my focus for the most part was schoolwork. Um, 
I, I did well in school and my mom was a teacher. So, you know, I, <laughs> I was getting taught constantly. Um, and yeah, I think hard work, you know, just that, that you just, you just do these things because you have to, you know, because you grow a garden because you've got to put food on the table. That was mm -hmm. just kind of what you did there, you know, um, you get a job because you need to pay your way. Um, yeah. Yeah. What about you in terms of those kinds of things that you learned from your parents? Um, yeah, my, my parents are really, uh, hardworking. Um, I, I learned a lot about, um, dedication and, mm. uh, um, being the person that's responsible for other people like uh my dad uh ha has a lot of people that work for him um and with him and uh he he's probably one of the most hardworking people that i know and um i don't know it makes me uh it's it's sometimes a weird thing to to talk about sometimes because you see this person that you care about so much and they're they're working so hard to take mm. care of you and take care of your siblings and your family and everything. Um, and there's nothing you can do to say thank you. You just have to try. <laughs> yes. And there's nothing you're going to be able to do to repay them. Um, and it's just, yep. I don't know. You just, you, that's all you can do is like, th thank you. I try as much as I can to say thank you, but um I, I think he knows. Mm -hmm. I hope. <laughs> yes, he does. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. And you know what? And he doesn't do it for the thanks, right? Yeah. He does it because you're his daughter and it's his family and, you know, it's, and there's a certain, I'm sure there's a certain amount of pride for him too in doing a good job and, and, you know, keeping everybody else going and, you know, building, is he, sub, he's a, is he self-employed? Uh, yes, he, he works, um, the company that he works at, uh, was a startup. And so he was one okay. of like, I think four or five people that started it. And now right. they have all these employees and they have a profile right. on Glassdoor. And oh, so cool. I, I cool. see people like, um, uh, making comments about like, oh, I, I liked working here and I, I liked this about it. And I like that about it. <laughs> and I'm like, I remember when this company was just getting started and mm -hmm. um, I showed up when I was like eight years old to like this big, like, it was kind of like a ribbon cutting ceremony or something like that. And right. there were like everybody else's kids were there. And um, I remember uh, one time we got snowed in um, and they had some sort of important thing that they needed to do. And um, uh, for some reason, people couldn't get into the office. So they kind of just set up shop in uh, my dining room. <laughs> 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 and like a bunch of his employees were like mm -hmm. something, so doing something like sorting through papers or um, doing stuff on their computer, just getting stuff done because they just need some place to be together. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I remember there was this guy, I don't know if, I think he, he just moved from like intern to full time. So he was a bit younger. And um, uh, my sisters and I, we were like, oh my God, you want to play Barbies with us? Do you want to hang out? <laughs> like, you want to play with us? You're the youngest one. And my dad was like, leave him alone. He has important stuff to do. <laughs> um, 
and, and my mom uh my mom's uh really hard working too um she uh went to grad school while I was in high school in middle school and before taking care of us uh she was um in marketing so she had a um a travel job actually and so I, apparently I would travel with her a lot and by the time I was like two years old um mm. I was a frequent flyer <laughs> <laughs> And they have memories of me um, uh, learning how to how to climb stairs in the airport. And apparently, like, the TSA people knew me. And I'm like, oh, hi, how are you? <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, um, but by the time my uh, o- oldest sister, who's younger than me, um, uh, got, uh, was born, um, she transitioned to taking care of us. And then by the time we were able to take care of ourselves, then she went back to work and everything. But right. yeah, it's, um, uh, I don't know. I guess parents are like the first uh, introduction to like what life could be or what mm-hmm. careers are out there or things like that. Um, yeah. wh- when, when you were a, a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, well, back when I was a little kid, uh, we didn't, us girls didn't have an awful lot of choices to to (laughs) consider. Uh, so I think I went through nurse for, I don't know, maybe a week. Uh, teacher, (laughs) teacher was probably, you know, I I definitely was going to be a teacher for a while. Um, and my best friend, um, her father was also a teacher and it was eventually vice principal and then principal. Um, uh, so she was going to be a teacher as well. So we would actually, I'd go over to visit her because they actually lived on the school grounds. They lived in the old house that had been built for the, for the female teachers who would move to town and teach. So they had to have a safe place for the, the female teachers to live, right? So they all lived in this house. But by the time that I was growing up, this was just um, my friend's family lived in the house. And so we would go over. She had a blackboard in her in the sort of room outside of her bedroom. And we would teach and we would teach the dolls, <laughs> the things that we were learning in school. So, you know, there we were like seven or eight years old teaching, you know, the, the stuffed dolls, all the, you know, math and whatnot. And that probably helped us learn a lot better what we were doing in school um yeah so teacher was definitely one of the things that I considered for for a a while I don't you know but I never really kind of got too deep in any of them really um uh, it's so long ago you know I hate to say it right it it is (laughs) it was the 60s and early 70s it's a long time ago I don't necessarily remember all of uh, all of the things that I thought I'd be. But at some point after I started dancing and dancing more <clears throat> seriously, um, at some point dancer was one of those things I thought I would do. Um, and and then I thought, well, I'll be a dance teacher since, you know, teaching. And I could sort of I could understand things that I was being taught and I could help other people understand how to dance better so you know sort of becoming a teacher and that was sort of more uh solid than being a dancer because you never knew if you were going to have a job or not as a dancer right and you had to audition and you had to get into places 
um, and get jobs. And there weren't a lot of dance jobs, especially in Canada back then. There were very few dance companies and places you could actually dance. And I was okay. I wasn't at that level. You know, I did, I did, you know, I danced pretty well. I passed exams and whatnot, but I was, I, I was never going to get to that sort of top level of, mm. of, you know, being a dancer. But, you know, I, so I ended up coming to Toronto to become a dance teacher. Um, there was a school, the Ryerson Theater School, and now it's just called the Performance School. It's now because and the it's whole very school, big. Well, the whole yeah, exactly. And the whole school changed its name this year. It's now the Toronto Metropolitan University. Ooh. Um, well, because there was uh, a lot of controversy over the name Ryerson, and the fellow uh, for whom the school was named was the one of the people who sort of set up the whole public education system in Ontario. Ah. And uh, there's a lot of connection with residential the Indian residential schools and whatnot and so there for for a few years there had been a lot of controversy over whether that was a name that they should still have um and in a you know at an institution that is very multicultural it's mm -hmm. you know and um and it's a very downtown university it's right in the middle of downtown Toronto and so it's it very much draws from a very multicultural city um, and uh, and it but when I went it was still Ryerson Polytechnical Uni Institute so uh, wasn't yet a university and and it was uh, more applied uh, work that you did so it wasn't you know the theory of things that you learned in a university setting it was sort of uh, it was above college, but it wasn't yet university. It was kind of in this funny little gray zone. Um, so, you know, you went to learn in the performance school or the theater school, you went to learn to be an actor or a, a dance teacher. And at that point, they didn't even have a dance performance program. It was just, you came to be a dance teacher. Interesting. And, yeah. And actually, while I was there, uh, they started a dance performance program as part of that um, because there were a few of us who were at a, diff a little higher level dance wise and so they wanted to start giving us more opportunities and now it's it's you know a, a school that you know trains dancers that go on to actually dance and have jobs and be on you know teaching but I, I thought I was going to be a dance teacher which is why I chose to go there uh, yeah what was that like when you 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 moved there and uh, you you started school. Was it what you expected? Um, probably because I had spent so many years and I'd, I had actually, I'd, I went to that school two years after I finished high school. So I had spent a couple of years working and dancing uh, in Calgary and Edmonton. And um, so I, I already spent a lot of time dancing so this and during the summers when I'd go to Banff to the school there it was like eight hours a day of dancing for six weeks so I was already kind of used to what a full day of you know dancing in the studio was was like um, and then we added at, at Ryerson you also had academic classes so we had English classes and a few other 
you know, sort of additional classes so that you got a, a wider education than just dance. Um, and we had pedagogy classes, so we were learning how to learning how to teach, right? So how do you deal with you know students? How do you break down um, movement and and teach it? I don't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say. And in my second year, I actually shifted into this performance program, but I'd had an injury. I'd had an mm -hmm. injury that I sustained when I was living in Edmonton and I'd, I'd sprained my ankle and I hadn't let it heal properly. This mm -hmm. was before we talked a lot about sports injuries and things like that. And uh, I'd pushed it too much um, because there was performance coming up and I you know, sort of kept pushing on it. Um, and so in my second year at Ryerson, I decided that I, I wasn't going to get better. Mm -hmm. And I really needed to just stop. And when I was in Edmonton, I had been hanging out with the technicians, all the guys that, you know, that worked for the ballet school in the ballet, or for the ballet company. And um, I was, I helped so set pieces there was this big piece that had all these curtains hanging and I helped to sew all of those curtains together <laughs> and whatnot and I really enjoyed being with them and I actually found that I liked being with the technicians in some ways more than being with the dancers I you know dancers were fun but the technicians did things they made stuff and uh, so Ryerson also had a technical program so when I stopped dancing Mm -hmm. I finished out the year with a job and then I went back and I did the technical program and, and finally managed to graduate <laughs> after three years in that and learned lighting and stage management and set design and costume building and all sorts of different sorts of things that uh, that became my career. How does that feel to be... Um you kind of know both ends of it you know the performance side and you mm -hmm. know the logistics side um and mm -hmm. the production side so yeah. that's kind of a unique thing because i feel like most people only know one side or the other yeah and it actually was the reason why i ended up going into dance stage management because i yeah. had that dance background whereas most people when they go through theater school go into theater Right. They mm -hmm. go into, you know, dramatics and and, uh, you know, if you're stage managing, you're stage managing plays and musicals and things like that. Um, there aren't very many people that that become dance stage managers. It's it's. It really helps to have a dance background, but yeah. I know lots of really amazing stage managers who did not have a dance background, but they, you know, they had an affinity for it. They understood dancers and they understood that it's it's not about the dancing it's about supporting the dancers and supporting the choreographers to you know and the designers and whatnot to get the show on the road and get the show on the stage um more than it's about the dancing side of it you know yeah was that a, a, a stressful job like uh with performances and making sure that timing mm. was right and everything like that that's a lot of responsibility and a lot of people are watching yeah it is it is i started out when after i graduated i had worked in a couple of summer theater uh gigs because that's kind of what you do in in the summers and when you were going through theater school and i had applied for a job at toronto dance theater 
So I had known about Toronto Dance Theatre almost from the beginning of the company, which started in 1968. And I remember probably by 70, 71, we were seeing articles in the newspaper all the way across the country where I was um, about this company that was sort of taking the world by storm in a way because they were very controversial. It was a modern dance company. And we didn't have, it was really the beginning of modern dance in, in Canada. There was one other uh, choreographer and, one, uh, and company in Winnipeg that had started a couple of years earlier. But this company was really pushing the boundaries. The, the founders had all studied in New York, studied with Martha Graham, were in Martha Graham's company, whatnot. So they had this sort of background of, of um, pushing limits. And they came back to Canada and, and these three founders sort of put this company together. Actually, I think one of them had started the company and then these other two fellows joined her. And uh, they were traveling they, because that was a time when the government would give you money to go and travel from a foreign affairs point of view. It was kind of goodwill ambassador kind of, of uh, you know, travel. You connect with um, other cultures and, and whatnot, and it sort of helps to build, uh, you know, knowledge of each other's countries and things like that. I mean, we did a lot of that sort of traveling um, over the years, but they were in London, I think. And there was, a, there, was, there was this one dance called the bag solo, where this woman is in this big bag, right? It's a big cloth <laughs> bag, big black cloth bag. Um, and she's dancing and she's moving. And it was really cool, right? And all this stuff. And after a while, you begin to kind of go, oh, is she ever going to come out of the bag? And then she begins <laughs> to come out of the bag. And then she's naked. Oh, my God. And the piece ends, right? And it's like, whoa, that caught everybody's attention. <laughs> oh, and no one's expecting this. No. No, I mean, if you don't know the piece, right, you wouldn't know. And she was this tall, willowy woman who, you know, in beautiful long hair. And, and she, you know, just kind of emerges from this cocoon. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And that got a lot of attention, you know. That, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we start, I started hearing about them when I was still a young dancer. And then one of the founders, Patricia Beattie, came to Banff one summer and was my modern dance teacher. Wow. Yeah. So this woman who was like the most probably self-actualized woman I'd ever met, right? She was just there. And she was doing this dance work that was so strange to everybody else because we were all ballet bunheads, right? Yeah. And 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 there's this this woman who was just so striking and strong and she you know normally they would you know a teacher would would create a dance piece that would be put on the stage and she just said I can't do that I can't teach these young girls that much in six weeks that I can put a dance on them and so she said I will do a solo and a duet she brought out the one of the other founders from Toronto to just come and do this duet with her and the music was strange. <laughs> One of in the duet, the music is very is very electronic, and there was this 
this uh, pole on the stage that had these two um, uh, circles that were beds, right? So it was like this metal circle. Uh, it was like pipe bent yeah. to make a circle and then canvas stretched across uh, the bed, right? So there were two of these. They start out sort of each on these on these beds and yeah. then they meet and things happen and stuff and um it was it was it was really cool many years later actually working and and being the stage manager for that piece wow <laughs> um, years, many years later when we sort of resurrected it and then she did a solo um that was sort of her famous solo that was it was you know it was like there was no way anybody else could have to learn how to dance like that and and put a performance on the stage but it was so cool to see this this you know these people who were changing the face of dance in our country right there on our stage and she was my teacher <laughs> you know and then years later i got a job working there wow um, when i first moved to toronto I actually, my apartment was half a block from the building that they had just renovated. They were in this old church um, in the middle of this sort of area that had been run down and was now being brought back. It's now like some of the most expensive homes in the, in the city are in that area. But it, so it was in this old sort of church that had been a, turned into a community center and whatnot. And they, they, you know, were able to scrape together money. This was would have been late 70s when they when they got the building and this sort of famous architect redesigned the inside of it turned the main part of the church into a performance space and studio and then the the adjoining building had other studios in it and uh, so I lived around the corner from there for five years while I were in that area for for you know, five years while I went to school, never set foot in the building, but it was this place, you know, it's like I'd known about this company for all these years, right? And then I applied for a job because they were looking for a technician for the theater. Yeah. And they were just starting to use the theater more for rentals. Um, so we'd have other community, you know, other like dance companies and theater groups and whatnot would come and rent the space for the weekend and uh, do a performance. And so I was the technician in the theater. <laughs> so I, that was my first job out of college. I knew nothing. I got the job <laughs> because I, I didn't want a lot of pay, right? <laughs> it was another fellow that, that had way, way, way more experience, but he wanted more money. And they <laughs> gave me the job. And I'm sure it was there was more. That, like the fellow who hired me, who's still a friend, you know, said, uh, you know, well, you know, I could see that you had, you know, you had more going for you than just a technician. And I eventually became the stage manager for the company. But, you know, you sort of see that you, you, you know, uh, you could learn lighting and you could learn more of these things, but you had something you, else. I was like, you yes. had potential. <laughs> I had potential. Yes, exactly. So, you know, these poor companies had to put up with me basically sort of learning on the job <laughs> as I went, you know, how do you run a lighting board? So now lighting boards are all computerized. But back then it was, there was this huge desk that had dimmers. So mm. if you ever dealt with theater at all, right. So, so basically the voltage going to the, or the current voltage, I don't know. Anyway, the amount of power going to the light to make it brighter or dimmer is handled by a slider that 
basically, you know, you push it up and the light gets brighter and you bring it down and the light gets dimmer. And then you put colors into the lights and you mix all of that to create a scene on stage. And the lights are all from specific angles so that they light the space properly. And then you build atmosphere with all of this. I was like trying to figure all of this out while I was also running this space and mopping the floor and, and, you know, yeah, <laughs> trying to That's figure so out wild. what I was doing, but yeah, it was cool. It was a great, it was, I mean, I, you know, I, I met again, it was, you know, it was a place where that sort of mid-level company that, you know, from Montreal that was just starting to make its name would come and do their Toronto performance in that space. Um, uh, and because everybody in the dance world knew each other, right? So it was kind of like, as they started renting the space out, it was like, perfect. We're the, we, you know, ours was a great spot for that. We had 116 seats or something in the theater. So you're not trying to fill a big cavernous hall. Stadium with, or something. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you, the the audience for modern dance is pretty small. <laughs> especially when it's a company that nobody knows right from another place um and there was a group called dance works it was like mm. a um a woman and her husband at the time um who were doing performances uh or sponsoring performances so they would they they basically would rent a space and then they would curate choreographers to come and either create a new piece or Ooh. or um, present a, a work or whatever um, and it was mostly local at that point but they eventually sort of spread out they were bringing people from all across the country and down in the states and and whatnot there's um, and I think they're still going I'm not sure I think so um, uh, yeah so they were sort of like one of the first shows I did was was sort of like this show with you know five different choreographers and dancers and stuff I knew nothing, <laughs> but you know we got through it and and I worked with them for years uh, and and I got to know some of the people at that point who were um you know the that sort of top level of modern dancer in in uh in Canada in, in Toronto in Canada and I actually saw some of them recently. They did a show. There's one of the women who was in that very first show that I did lives not far from me here out in the country. And she was putting on a show with the local theater group. Um, they've the last couple of summers, she's brought together sort of these various dancers from mostly my history. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and done a show here locally. So I was able to go this year and, and, uh, you know, reconnect. And it's like, wow, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, I've known this woman for 40 years. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. a, what yeah. a community. Yeah. It was, it was so cool. It was so, you know, yeah. And that was the thing, right? It was very much, it's a very small little community. It's not like, you know, it's not like, um, you know, working in an office you know, where you're a secretary and everybody is a secretary or you're an administrator or whatever, right? And there's like, you could go anywhere and do that job in many different places. It's like, it's a very small little insular community and it still is, right? I mean, uh, that everybody knows each other when, when, you know, young students would come out of the school at Toronto Dance Theatre or out of, 
York University, which was like the other big feeder for the modern dance community. They had a really good modern dance program there. Um, when they would, you know, start to move into the performance community, you'd get to see these young girls, usually young men and women who were, you know, 19, 20 years old, just starting on their careers and just starting to explore um, what it means to be a dancer, what it means to be uh, a performer, um, exploring what kind of performer they want to be or what kind of choreographer they want to be. Um, it, it, you know, it was cool. <laughs> it was just yeah. really cool to, to have that opportunity to see young people coming into their own, right? In something that I'd known and, and you know, in that art form, um, but hadn't reached that level, right? But to, to be able to support those people and, and to, uh, to watch them blossom into, you know, what, whatever they were going to become, right? And a lot of them are still working, um, yeah. you know, in, in the business. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow they support themselves. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like it's a lucrative business. A lot of them, you know, a lot of them would be working second jobs. A lot of them teach as well mm -hmm. um, so that they've got, you know, something that supplements their dance habit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, years, a few years later, I actually ended up working back out in Banff as a stage manager in the dance programs that I wow. used to be in. Right. And again, it was always I just I, I loved watching these young students. Discovering new types of dance or, you know, what they could do with their bodies and what, you know, what you know, exploring with a choreographer, you know, what to, to figure out what the choreographer wanted to draw out of them and, and creating these pieces, right? It's, it was the fascinating part about, you know, being where I was on that side of it was just, was being able to, you know, sort of see this art being created. And there's always, uh, I feel like there's always new things. Like there's always like, a new production there's mm -hmm. always the the dancers themselves or the performers themselves are ever evolving like getting better learning new things that mm -hmm. must mm -hmm. stay interesting it does it does because you know companies will will bring in a choreographer for some from somewhere else right so there'll be a choreographer who's made their name you know maybe they're you know, the artistic director of one company and then a different company will say, we'd love to have, you know, your work done for our dancers, right? And so either they'll bring a piece that they've already done or they'll come and choreograph a piece for those, you know, for this other company. And it'll be a different style and it'll, you know, or uh, maybe there'll be more spoken word, more theatrical presentation than just physical moving. Um, and and it's you know the dancers then get to stretch their capabilities and discover what they can do, um, and um, and explore you know who they are as performers. Right? We just see bodies moving around on a stage, but there's so much more that goes into that you know creating what you finally see on the stage from the performer point of view. Am, am I right that the next phase of your life was uh, photography and traveling with photography? 
Um, not quite. Um, my mom gave me a camera for like, I don't know, my 18th, 20th birthday, something like that. And I never quite learned how to use it properly. I, <laughs> I should have gone and taken <laughs> courses, but I didn't. So I just go take pictures. But what was cool about working with the dance companies was that we traveled a lot. And especially back then when there was still funding, more funding available. And uh, so uh, I would take my camera when we would go to Europe or down to the States or wherever. And, and I'd start, you know, just taking photographs, trying to find interesting things. I have an awful lot of photographs that are really awful. <laughs> but, you know, because I never quite learned how to use my camera properly. But, you know, I, I had fun with it. I liked the idea of taking photographs. Um, and photography, I, and so, you know, it was an opportunity to um, capture what I was seeing when I was in different places. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, the cool thing about working with the dance companies was touring. Um, and I got to see some pretty amazing places. I was in Europe a few times and we went to India. Uh, and I have, I, we got invited, we were staying at this hotel and there was a big wedding happening. And the very cool thing was that if you're, you know, you're having a big family wedding, it's very cool to have Westerners come to your your daughter's wedding, right? So we got invited because we were there really? at the hotel. We got invited to come to the wedding. <clears throat> and it was so cool because I've got these pictures of this, you know, bride and groom all in their outfits. Um, I have the pictures of the guy, the, the groom uh, coming up to the hotel on the horse with the band behind them. They do this whole sort of procession. Wow. To the hotel. Um for the wedding because the wedding actually happens during like this three-day festivities and yeah. and a lot of it there's it revolves around them sort of standing together on this dais looking out over the crowd and and just being near each other um i you know i don't know this couple i don't know how well they knew each other prior yeah. to the wedding like i'm not sure how arranged that wedding might have been or whether they were because by that point you know, there was a lot more, um, was, there was some more freedom um, mm -hmm. for, for, you know, Indian couples to meet mm -hmm. <laughs> and actually decide that they would like to be married um, <clears throat> than it had been. That's such a unique experience. Like, uh, I don't know, because I, rem I remember seeing you, you went to Italy and India and Macedonia was another one did i did so this was actually a trip with um a theater company uh in the 90s late 90s uh, i had worked with them a couple of times um because after i had been with toronto dance theater for six or seven years i'd left there and i freelanced for five years and mm -hmm. one of the jobs that i had was working with this this little touring theater company they were they were uh both trained clowns so they had trained in Paris with the sort of wow. big clown, the big clown, Jacques Lecoq clown teacher guy, right? So like the famous clown. And so they had, uh, so they had, they were creating these plays. They still, they still go, they're still going now. They've been like around for 40 years or so, but they were creating these plays sort of based on 
clown work. But clown work uh -huh. isn't like, you know, floppy shoes and red noses, although a red nose would show up from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was kind of more like this theatrical clown performance, right? And and taking these scripts and creating these these cool little worlds. And um, so I'd worked with them a couple of times and then they were going to Eastern Europe for this tour. And we were in Moldova. I had never heard of the country of Moldova Right. <laughs> Which at that point had been separated the, the, after the fall of the Soviet Union. Mold, Moldova was one of the USSR countries. Right. Yeah. So now it was this sort of country on its own and it's landlocked. It's it's there's a, a, a chunk of land of Ukraine that comes underneath Moldova, which blocks it off from the Black Sea. So it's it's this little landlocked country. It's in the news a lot right now because on the eastern side of the country, there's a lot of um, Russian, um, there's like Russian separatists and whatnot. So every mm. once in a while it shows up. So it's been a big, it's been in the news a lot more lately. Um, so we started in Moldova, then we went into Romania and then down into, when then we went to Belgrade and then Skopje in Macedonia and then wow. to Thessaloniki. And Thessaloniki is where Maria um, Alcorium, whatever. Oh like, yeah, Maria from Floxies and yeah, yeah, Greek things. Maria. She lives, yeah, Greek Maria. So she lives in Thessaloniki. So we have wow. that little thing in common. Yeah, yeah. You know what's a cool thing about tour all that touring that I did is that yeah. when I talk to people and they say, "Oh, I live in such and such," I go, "I've been there." <laughs> <laughs> people are like, "What?" <laughs> it was somebody who was from Hyderabad. So Hyderabad was actually the city in in India where we went to the the big wedding. Um, and there'll be people in other places, and somebody you know will post you know where they're from on a forum or whatever. And say, I've been there. <laughs> but the best one, the best one was a FinSuite stream. Um, Christopher Coleman, uh, I can't remember what company he's working for now, but he was on the FinSuite streams. And, um, you know, it's sort of one of those, you know, post where you're from at the beginning of the of the stream. And he said, Coldale, no, Carbondale, Illinois. And I'm like, I've been to Carbondale. <laughs> he just about, I'm sure he just about fell off his chair because Carbondale is like this little college town in the south end of Illinois. Yeah. But Toronto Dance Theatre had gone there on a tour at one point <laughs> and done a show. Yeah. <laughs> But it was like, who's heard of Carbondale, Illinois? <laughs> you know, that, that you would be on a stream, you know, learning about, you know, web flow and somebody would say, oh, I've been to your town. <laughs> to you me, know, that's so like somebody saying, um, uh, yeah, I've been to Orfield, Pennsylvania. Like, what? <laughs> okay, haven't. But my first, <laughs> my, my first show was actually in Philadelphia. Oh really? One of my one of my very first shorts. Yeah, we were touring a a little theater a a a, a dance show of Babar the Little Elephant, and oh, wow. the school at Toronto Dance Theater did this show. And so our the first time I ever went out on the road was uh, uh, to Philadelphia. Do you remember the name of the theater? The, the yeah, it was the Annenberg. It was at the okay. Annenberg. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was like. <laughs> <laughs> this is different yeah it, it is it's very different it's like oh my gosh right oh, the best part was that one of the dancers uh sort of had a bit of a nervous breakdown in the middle of all of that and she disappeared <gasps> last day 
So I was trying to call the show and and talk to the cops at the same time, right? <laughs> to tell them about because of course it's the missing person. Up. We yeah, and we'd spent the morning calling hospitals and trying to find her and because we were <sighs> concerned about her mental health and all of this stuff and and uh, there'd been a lot of you know angst going on building up to this day and then suddenly it's like she's not here. It's like well where is she? We're phoning and and uh, turns out she'd gotten on a bus and gone up to Buffalo and called her parents to come get her. But oh <laughs> my yeah, but I was like. So in the middle of the show, the cops show up, right? Because wow. we called the cops to sort of report this missing person. So it's like, okay, I've got, I've got about eight minutes here in the middle of the show where I have no cues. And I will just go and talk to the cops. It's like totally, totally like you're never supposed to leave the stage, right? But I did. Yeah. I was like, I had to go and talk to the cops and tell them about this missing girl in the middle of the show. So that was my first show experience. Uh, what a Philadelphia, Philadelphia memory. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so there that's my philadelphia story was um do you think that the the you before all of this traveling and the you after Mm -hmm. all of this traveling do you think that those are different people different perspectives oh absolutely absolutely yeah i think so i mean i think traveling certainly i i was i was very shy and i was i was you know i i have lots of confidence issues and I had more confidence issues when I was younger um <laughs> you know just you know I don't know just did and mm-hmm. traveling certainly and and doing the kind of work that I did right where you'd go into a new theater every day and you'd have to deal with the crew and get them to do the things that you needed them to do and you had to have yourself organized to do all the stuff at the right time so that at eight o'clock at night the show could start and dealing oh. with the dancers and all of the personalities and whatnot. And yeah, by the time we had done all of that and then toured all over the world, <laughs> I, I kind of had a, a, a much stronger sense of myself and, and capabilities. And, and, and I'd seen people doing, you know, the, the cool thing about touring like that, right, traveling like that, is that you, you're working with people that do the same thing you do but just in another country, in another language, right? Um, I had fun with it because I would go and and learn enough words. Like I'd learn how to say the numbers mm. right, in the language. And then I wow. could actually call the show in the language. So I'd call huh. a show in Spanish or I'd call a show in Italian, and, and which blew people away because most of the time when a show would come in, it'd be like, well, I speak in English and that's it. If you yeah. can't speak English, then we're going to have a problem. Right. That, oh. That's quite often how, yeah, that that's, that's sometimes how people came across it. You know, the, I've had people say that to me that, you know, it's like, oh yeah, no, that company, they came and they were, you know, it was like, nope, can't speak English. Then, then we don't want you on the crew kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and, so I would, you know, I, I, the, my mentor who worked, who was like the lighting designer and uh, touring manager for the company got me doing this early on, right? He sort of, he was learning Spanish, but he was like, here, here's the words, right? Here's, here's how you say the numbers. And it made such a difference because I got a connection with, you know, even just the people sitting on the headset that, you know, trusted me differently than they trusted somebody else because they knew that, 
you know, I was giving them the number that they were looking at on the page, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, or that they had scribbled down as we were setting the lighting cues and whatnot, that, you know, it gave them a confidence to do their job well. <laughs> yeah. So here's the best one. Here's the best one. We're in, oh, I can't remember where, which theater it was, but we're in Mexico um, in this theater, it might have even, I can't remember if it was the big theater in downtown Mexico City or or some other theater, but they didn't have a proper headset system. Mm. I had a microphone and there was a speaker in the lighting booth. So <laughs> when, you're, when you work in dance, you're generally on the stage with, you know, just at the side of the stage, whereas in theater, quite often the stage manager is up in the booth in the lighting booth with the the lighting and sound people and whatnot. But in dance, you're generally backstage with, because there's usually only one person to sort of run everything. And so I had to communicate and they had no proper communication system except for this microphone. So I basically stood there speaking into this microphone. They listened on the speaker and they had a light switch. So there was a light bulb over my head. Yeah. That I could see that they could say, Yes, we heard you. <laughs> and that was cool. the communication. Wow. <laughs> it was wild. It was wild, right? And it's like, you you know, we move in in the morning and it's kind of like at some point during the day, they say, okay, this is how you communicate. And you're like, what? I can't do that. It's like, no way. I right? don't know Morse code. <laughs> oh my God. It was insane, right? And it's like, but, you know, it was like, I had my numbers. So here I am reading the Spanish numbers to them to you know to turn the lights on and off and start the audio and 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 yeah (laughs) and all I had to know that you know it was like it was a big trust thing right I truly had to trust that when I said something and when I said ah which is go that something would happen yeah (laughs) and it did the show went really well so, and, and what, the, but the connection yeah. you got that I got with those technicians was so different than if I had just been a jerk and said, well, if you can't speak English, then, you know, I don't want to deal with you. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite ones was in Italy. There's a, a big famous festival called the Spoleto Festival. And we were invited, the company I was working with at the time was invited to be there. And I had studied Italian. Um, I'd been in Italy a couple of times and I'd actually studied Italian in a school for a few weeks because I liked the language. And there's a way of speaking formally in in a language like um, Italian or Spanish or French, and then there's the informal. And so the fellow who was the 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 one who basically said when I could start the show, he was sort of like the the top guy. Um, and he was he was gruff. He was difficult, you know, sort of guy in his 40s early 50s and it was you know he was like good looking man but just you know knew it um, yeah, but he was stern. you know it was very much an <laughs> Italian guy right and so you know I was speaking Italian with the crew when I could and he was watching from a distance and then every day when it was time to start the show he would say quando vuole right so when when you would like so which was basically you you can start the show whenever you're ready. We're ready. Yeah. And the last day, he said to me, Quando voi, which was the informal. 
And oh. it was the most, it was like, it was the most amazing moment to kind of go, I softened this guy up all wow. week long, right? I was, I dealt nicely with the follow spot people. I was really, you know, I, I had conversations with people and this fellow who was just this gruff, grumpy guy was like, when you like, but in a much more relaxed, we're friends way. <laughs> It was cool. What an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that one stuck with me for 30 years that, that I managed to do that. Sometimes when um, when I think back onto different seasons of my life, um, I sometimes look back and say, how did I do that? Like, how did... Mm. <laughs> where, where did that come from? Like, what? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes I remember... Um, waking up for practice at like 4 45 in the morning and then making it to practice and then being in school and passing school and then working on top of that and then I look back on that now and I think where did that come from do you feel mm. that way about that season of your life oh for sure for sure yeah. um, particularly when there were shows that were really complex or where I was trying to pull a cat out of the bag right that that I didn't necessarily have all of the details. We didn't have time to work out everything. I just had to pull it together at the last minute, right? And so I had a, I, there were a few times where I would spend an entire day. I would start at eight o'clock in the morning and at eight o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, I would finally have finished working out how we were going to get through all of the transitions in the show because I had to write it down in a way that yeah. I could then get, 20 other people working with me to make everything happen at the right time. And the first time I had to do that was with this company where uh, we were remounting a show that had been done previously, but I had never done it. And there wasn't a, you know, there were some videos, but there were no notes for when the cues had to be called or, or what there was was really patchy. And I had to figure out from watching rehearsals and the bit of time that I got with the lighting person and whatnot, I had to figure out how this show all came together. And it was hard. It was really hard, but I got it. And it, it was like that sense of triumph when you actually get, you know, get to the end of the show and you go, oh my God, we haven't fallen apart. <laughs> I, I had a few moments where, you know, over the years where things would kind of, you know, you'd sort of forget to call the next sound cue and you'd have this moment of silence kind of going, uh-oh. <laughs> um, you know, but but for the most part, you know, to actually figure out how to put all of those bits and pieces together on a piece of paper using stopwatches and whatnot so that I could time things so that I could call cues at the right place to do a transition or whatever, to do all of that stuff. It's like, how, I don't know how sometimes how I did it <laughs> other than just sheer will. You know, there was a way I was going to go to sleep before I got that figured out. Yeah. Because if I stopped, I would lose it completely, you know, and that's hard to teach somebody. I used to, because sometimes in these situations, I'd be also in a teaching capacity trying to teach young assistants and stuff. You can't teach that stuff. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff you, you just figure out, you know, as you go. Over time. Over time, you know, yeah. when you just, you know, I, yeah, 
you know, that's that's the creativity of being a stage manager, which is sometimes doesn't seem like a terribly creative job <laughs> at times because you're just kind of keeping everybody together and you're following the script and doing all of this. But, you know, that was the thing about being a dance stage manager that that was really fun was that it was quite creative in how you actually got everything pulled together. I'm curious about um, how you described these experiences that you had in this this uh, career to your uh, your family and and your your mom and dad who had totally different mm. uh, experiences. Um, that's a good question. Um, because I didn't see my family that often. Yeah. Once I moved to Toronto, they were two thousand miles away. Oh my! So I would see I would see them a couple of times a year. I would talk to my mom uh, most most weeks. Um, yeah. She got frustrated if I didn't call on Sunday <laughs> night. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know it's like I'm some. She actually was was around for a part of that because one of those big you know all day long kind of putting the show together things happened in Banff. And I was, so I was nearby, right? Yeah. And and um, she saw me kind of freaking out because I would freak out in the midst of all of that, right? I'd, I'd like call her up going, ah! It can <laughs> you know? be overwhelming, yeah. It, it Yeah, because, because the thing is, it's like, you're kind of dealing with something like this, kind of going, I don't know if I can do this. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, now being in the middle of, you know, sort of saying, you know, having told a client you can build something or other, because you you know that it can be built, but you haven't necessarily built it yourself. And you're like going, oh, my God, what if I can't figure this out? What do I do? <laughs> right. It was a little bit like that where you're like, well, I, I can't let everybody down. I have to figure out how we're going to get from here to here when there are, you know, 15 lighting cues and a couple of sound cues that have to happen in the midst of all of that. And while you're watching the dancers and doing all this. So, so it's like, yeah, I, I would freak out and I'd, I'd call my mom. <laughs> going, ah! um, you know, and she would just kind of help. She never understood. Like, I don't think she, she, she'd never had to do anything like that. You yeah. Know? She had to raise a kid and get me to ballet classes. And she had to deal with, you know, grade four, five and six students trying to learn math. But she never had to deal with, you know, somebody trying to do what I was trying to do. So yeah. she was just, you know, trying to be helpful, keep me calm, I guess. You know, my dad had no idea. He just, you know, <laughs> he just and he's in Europe it, again. <laughs> well, and it's kind of like, yeah, when when are you going to get a job, a real job? You know, because I mean, it was kind of like that. It's like, you know, I, it, you know, there weren't. It wasn't a full, I mean, it was a full-time job, but only for a period of time. So there was always mm-hmm. that uncertainty about income and things like that. And, you know, I think he just sort of figured eventually I would find something else to do. I don't know. I don't know. We never really talked about it much. He would come to see shows and kind of, you know, kind of go, okay. <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> That's nice. You know, my my daughter does something to do with this, but I don't quite know what, I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Was it um was it interesting to tell them about uh travel and like mm-hmm. oh I went to Eastern Europe and I went to this country that you've probably never heard of. Uh mm-hmm. like life in India is so different than in Banff. 
<laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I would I would take pictures to bring them home to my parents. Right. Yeah. And to my mom, particularly my my dad passed away in 92. So mm -hmm. he was only around for the first part of that. So, you know, Eastern Europe was, you know, my mom. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I would take pictures and bring them home. And, you know, you know, that whole thing with like old home movies when people would bore their neighbors with their home movies, <laughs> right? It's like, I bored so many people with these reams of photos and take them through <laughs> my whole trip, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, it was, it was really neat being able to share that with them. And, yeah. and particularly with my mom, she'd always wanted to travel and that never really happened for her. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was, uh, I, I remember getting um, a fax from her because I'd give her my itinerary for where I was going. And when we were in, I think it was Belgrade, I got yeah. this fax from her saying, with some information, some, just to say hi. And I got this fax back going, imagine you being in Macedonia. <laughs> <laughs> or Belgrade or wherever it was we were you know she was just she was just amazed that yeah. you know coming from this little town I had managed to get myself into a situation where here I was in you know a hotel in Europe putting shows on for people it was, that's incredible yeah 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 she she was pretty impressed by that you know she she was just the fact that that you know that it happened that her daughter was you know doing this stuff i um i have two more things i really want to ask you before we go um okay God. so <laughs> gone through two hours oh my gosh it goes by very fast <laughs> well, and there's so many there's a million things we haven't even talked about so <laughs> I I love talking about about life and and things like that. So mm -hmm. this is very perfect. And then if we want to talk about other seasons of your life, I'll just have to have you come on again. And you're just okay. gonna have to hang out with me again. <laughs> and that would be so awful. <laughs> um. So uh, I I wanted to know um uh if you could imagine like you um from the theater season of your life um mm -hmm. being able to sit down and have a coffee with you in the present day how do you think that conversation would go like you would tell her about what your life is like now and what would that be like hmm oh that's such an interesting question um well considering when I started out in theater computers were you know were hardly around yeah um, you know I started using computers in the sort of 80s a little bit um so to imagine that I'm you know building websites and helping businesses put themselves out on the internet and things like that. You know, the internet, you know, <laughs> was certainly not something anybody would heard of outside of universities at that point. Uh, I think it would be, it would be fascinating to try to describe it, but I don't know how well I could describe it, <laughs> you know, to somebody who had no clue as to what it, what it was. Um, but I know lots of people who are not in this world at all who still tell me they have no concept of how to even turn on a computer and things like that, <laughs> which is just like, wow, um, you know, or they have a phone, but they, that all they know how to do is, you know, surf in the Internet and that's it. Um, yeah. It's it's still, you know, it's one of those things It's like, you know, trying to describe being a stage manager. It's kind of like trying to describe building websites for people. 
right? So many people that we see say, you know, I tell my parents what I do and they're like, what's that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be, it would be an interesting exercise to explain what this world is like now yeah to that person back then and and just like this is where you're going to go right this is <laughs> this is who you're going to be down the road is you know doing this other life because i don't travel anymore mm -hmm. like you know the the like i used to travel a lot back then and it's like i don't anymore and it's kind of like weird when i you know sleep in my own bed every single night <laughs> you know it's like odd I have roots somewhere. I uh, um, <laughs> I have yeah. a primary residence. <laughs> yeah, although you know, I would kick it all over and go traveling again. Any, you know, <laughs> but but traveling under my own speed as opposed to, um, you know, traveling for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, when you're sitting right now, I'm I'm assuming that you're feeling like very in the present and. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I, I like taking a moment um, when I'm talking with somebody. We talk about like childhood and talk about your life and everything like that. And you're like, wow, I'm actually like in the present. I'm slowed down. I'm not thinking about anything else. So like, how, how does that feel right now? Well, I realize that I've just spent two hours regaling you with like my history up to the 90s. <laughs> and the last 20 years is like, we haven't even started and it's kind of like man I talk a lot about that stuff but I had great you know I had great experiences and I'm yeah. so grateful I had that background um uh but it's it's neat because I don't tell a lot of people about this yeah right I don't you know because it's kind of like one of those things you don't get an opportunity to tell most people this is lots and lots of people I've met in the last 20 years have no clue no clue no clue what my background was or that I really? did the things that I would do. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really, and, and, and in the theater, in, in this web flow world, no, right. Very, very few people know anything about that. And, and so it's, it's cool to have shared that with you, but to also realize there's a lot of my history that is right there. Right. <laughs> like it's still very fresh, all of that stuff. Um, whereas the last 20 years are a lot more blended together because it's sort of, not been the milestones of traveling here and there and, and not the personalities. And that's one of the things I love about this community is that now I am meeting people in different places and I am, you know, getting to know uh, people from different cultures again through the, you know, through this community. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's very, very cool. I think and, that, um, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Um, uh, I, I love, um, uh, taking people's, uh, life stories very slow. Um, uh, one of my, my favorite episodes I did, um, we only got up to like his teenage years <laughs> and then we're, we're going to have to like do another one to go from like 16 on, but like, there were so right. many good stories and like so many things I wanted to hear. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm going to take this slow. I don't, I, why would I yeah. rush through a good story? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's cool because even thinking about, you know, what I would talk about today, you know, and and I think about this over, you know, from time to time, it's like my history and my parents' history and all of that is so rich with, mm -hmm. you know, things that 
you know, maybe other people have those stories too, but I don't know them. But it's yeah. like, these are my stories, right? These are, this is my history. And, and it's, it's really cool to be able to, to share that. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of those things. When, when you and think that's about... why you're a rising star, <laughs> my dear. Congratulations on your nomination. And absolutely, it is very, very well deserved. I have loved listening to your conversations with people and getting to know them. Thank you. Through you. Yeah. People have been so nice to me online in the last couple of days, like when when that came out. Uh, and if anybody if anybody's in product or, or uh, graphics science listening to this, uh, um, Webflow came out with uh, these awards, uh, like uh, no award nominations for different categories. And, and I got nominated for one and a bunch of my friends and people that I know started reaching out to me. And mm -hmm. it's... Um, it's so nice that that um people that uh that I know and then people that I don't know are reaching out to me and saying, Hey Em, like great for you. And I'm just mm -hmm. sitting in a coffee shop getting all these beeps on my phone and uh just like smiling and not knowing what to do with this feeling. So it's I know. Really nice. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean yesterday was a pretty was a pretty special day, you know, because yeah. You know, I, I've been nominated in a, and I would never would have expected yeah. to have been nominated. You, I would definitely have nominated, <laughs> but, and, and I would have expected that, but, you know, it's like, I didn't think that, you know, that people would, I, it's all that yakking that I do in streams and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, it's, yeah. Um in in terms of uh things that you're looking forward to um mm -hmm. either short term or or long term um is there anything that that comes to mind um from where you're at right now oh well so so you know there's like so much more we could talk about because i last year i started university oh um, yeah in my 60s yeah and so i'm i'm doing an, a degree that's probably going to take me 10 years to finish um, <laughs> And and it's it's so you know at some point I'm looking forward to finishing that whenever <laughs> that comes um, I'm looking you know I'm enjoying the learning that I'm doing through that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one day I, I've been I'm enjoying taking it a little easier. I'm not pushing as hard as I probably should to get more work and things <laughs> like that. Um, I'm enjoying life, you know. Um, so. The fact that I'm a little closer to retirement means I'm sort of looking, you know, trying to figure out what will I do and, and, you know, just slowing down a little bit and perhaps not pushing quite as hard as I have. Um, um, but also getting to know more people, right? It's, 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 I, and again, it's like, you know, back when I was doing dancing and, and, or working with dancers and those young people, I'm loving watching, you know, the young people that I'm seeing in this space, in this in this web space, especially as they're discovering something new, right? When you see somebody coming and going, oh, I'm just starting to learn Webflow and it's so <laughs> cool, right? Or, oh, Airtable does this or that, right? That, that you know, it's, it's wonderful to see people, you know, discovering new things and discovering what they can do. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to more of that, okay? To seeing what, what and, and hopefully traveling more too, once, once my husband's ready to able to travel more mm -hmm. you know yeah 
that's a, a perfect uh, segue to the way that I book in the podcast, which is um, asking uh, if if people listen and and they're like, oh my gosh, Penny's the best. I want to follow her on everything. What live stream does she do? How how can people how can people find you? Um, okay, so best thing is on Twitter because I'm on Twitter lots um, mm-hmm. at Penny Olo. Uh, I'm a co-founder of No Code North, so we do weekly meetups in our gather space, and we monthly, we've now shifted more to a monthly schedule for our Northern Showcase, where we do an interview with a Canadian person working in uh, No Code or Webflow, Uh, so we have one tomorrow, Um, of course, by the time this is out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, And... um, my website is buildmarketing.ca, but don't go visit it right now because <laughs> it's one of those, it needs to be rebuilt in Webflow and it's not right now. Um, those are the big places, I would say, that people could find me. I'm on LinkedIn too, so, you know, happy to connect there. Perfect. Yeah. I'll have that all linked in the description so people yeah. can just click and go. And Oh, you so- but I also yeah. I also watch a whole lot of streams. So usually yes. the easiest thing to do is just you know be on a FinSuite stream and and say hi, or uh, or a Floxies. I'm part of Floxies as well, so I get there when I can for that. And uh, and uh, Rymar's whatever group Rymar is running is I'm usually on those as well. So yeah. So uh, the the task that somebody listening to this should have is uh, to go on like a FinSuite stream, say, hi, Penny, listen to your episode. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Emily told me to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> if that happens, I want you to screenshot it and send it to me. <laughs> I will, for sure. For sure. Because you know now that somebody will. <laughs> if If they haven't gotten completely bored with all of the talk about dance stage management and whatnot but yes i love that stuff yeah (laughs) so um uh thank you so much for spending so much time with me and i i i appreciate it so much every time somebody spends time with me on the podcast it's such a gift um because i get to go on this i get to tag along on a a life story and a ride and so thank you so much oh thank you it's you're you're (laughs) wonderful to talk to you know i just you are so interested in in the people that you interview and and having now had that experience i you know i sort of i know why people love coming on your podcast and it's you know you you make people feel good i i hope this is just a goodbye until next time then i hope so too because there's there's way more (laughs) 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 Sounds like a plan. (laughs) All right.